Have you invested in potato salad today? Thousands of people have. Find out why on today's Where the Money Is. Hey everybody, I'm Mark Reith here, the incredibly handsome Michael Finarelli, and welcome to another edition of Where the Money Is. It's Tuesday, so it's all consumer goods, all show. I'm excited. How about you? I'm excited. Always yeah. excited for Tuesdays. I love me a good Tuesday. Got it. You know? Good Tuesday. Better than Monday. You don't have people running around yelling, Hump Day! for the Wednesdays. Mm. It's not so bad. And we get to chat about all these great consumer goods companies. That's right. It ain't too shabby. All right. Uh, let's jump right in then with our first headline. Macau Casino Revenue Falls, VIPs Blamed, Investors Rejoice by Mohammed Cohen over on Forbes. Uh, now, this headline has a lot going on with it. Yep. Uh, let's start, let's break it down, shall okay, we? Sure. So, Macau casino revenue fell in June by about 3.7% year over year. Right. That's big news because it's the first time their revenue has declined year over year since June 2009. Right, correct. What happened here? Uh, a lot of people are blaming, well, the VIP market, of course, World right. Cup, uh, you know, betting kind of dented, made a dent into mm-hmm. that. But, you know, I believe anyone who's panicking on this is likely losing it on big term, big longer term potential down right. the road. Right. I, I agree with that. Uh, like you said, so the World Cup, I've been, I've been seeing that a lot uh, in the research I did. The World Cup, people are starting to bet on that. They're not so focused on going to the tables, throwing down the chips. Right. Um, the interesting part of this headline, though, and you touched on it, is the VIPs blamed. And that's been a concern for Macau right. for a while now. There, right. There's just been this longstanding uh, belief that, well, so much of Macau's revenue comes from these huge Chinese, Asian VIPs, these big whales, if Large you will. Bettors, right. Right. And now that's starting to decline. What does that mean for Macau? Oh, God, what are we going to do without the whales? <laughs> well, you know, I don't necessarily know that we need to save the whales here. So, nice. you know, there's, there's, a, there's been a shift that's going on to, towards the, the mass market, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, which seems to be a little bit more lu- lucrative. I think it's actually higher margin than the VIP betters, to be completely honest with right. you. I think Las Vegas Sands, who has a huge position in Macau, um, I, I want to say like 75% of their cash flows derive from the mass market. So right. this is a shift that's continuing. It's not that big of a – I don't want to say that it's not a big problem, but mm-hmm. it's – it's not life-threatening for these operators over there that the VIPs aren't necessarily that are starting to die off. And there's good reason for that, too. I mean, partly the, the government's trying to clamp down on, on corruption and, right. and things of that sort. So, Right. I agree. All right. So let's focus on this last section. Mm-hmm. Investors rejoice. You touched on it. Which, which casinos out there look like they're going to be A-OK if, all the, if Macau comes crashing down, the VIPs stop buying into it? What happens? Who- like? I, I like Las Vegas Sands. Right. Uh, you know, years ago, Sheldon Allison made an investment, kind of a visionary investment in the Kotai Strip, and now he, they Las Vegas Sands dominates the, the Kotai, to be completely honest with you. And they've got a great position, of course, in Macau, mm-hmm. um, which gives them a great position in neighboring Asian countries, too, as well. They're a proven operator. They generate a lot of free cash flow, generate high returns on capital, so it's an attractive business. And going back to the point that they're a proven operator, you know, as other countries, like Japan, many people are speculating that Japan's going to open their doors to gambling mm-hmm. pretty soon. Um, this puts companies like Las Vegas Sands in kind of like a front-runner position to win licenses for those markets. I absolutely agree. And I actually also like uh, Melco Crown. I didn't know too much about it before doing the research for the segment. I was surprised to find two-thirds of their revenue comes from mass market. Yeah. They're not dependent on VIPs to begin with. Right. They already have two casinos in Macau. They've got a new one coming next year, and it's, going, it's got a great spot. It's right next to the land bridge, the Lotus Bridge that yeah. they're building. 
and that it's right next to the uh, the light rail that they're also building. Right. You're not going to see whales on the bridge on the light rail, <laughs> but you are going to see a lot of the mass market right. coming across from the mainland. Melco is going to be the first thing they see. They already love the mass market anyway. Right. I like Melco. I like Vegas Sands. Let's continue, shall we? Uh, the next uh, headline is from Jeff Reeves, who says, five great brands that I think are bad investments. Now, out of these five, three of them fall into consumer goods. I figured we could touch on those three, see if we agree with Jeff. Right. Uh, the first one was Coke. And yes. he said, Coca-Cola, it's a great brand, obviously, one of right. the strongest brands in the world. But it's a bad investment because of the slowdown in soda drinkers that we're seeing, this nine-year slowdown, yeah. uh, a gradual decline in the number of people who are A-OK with artificial sweeteners and all the sugary, uh, not healthy for you drinks. Right. What do you think about what, uh, what he's saying? You know, I actually agree with his sentiments here on one respect. Mm-hmm. Not so much that the brand is, is going to be tarnished by slowdown in, in carbonated beverages. I mean, they still have a strong suit overseas, to be completely honest with mm-hmm. you. Um, my concern is more with the, with the valuation of the company. Trading at 22 times trailing earnings per share right. of the current stock price, their P.E. ratio is, only yielding 2.9%. You know, I think there's better opportunities out there for Coca-Cola, uh, aside from Coca-Cola. I absolutely agree. Uh, all right, his next brand was Amazon. He, his argument is that, again, great brand. We all love shopping at Amazon, mm-hmm. nice and cheap, quick shipping. Yeah. But investors are starting to get a little pissed off that there are no profits. There's nothing to show for it just yeah. yet. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I still, I, I think the brand is amazing. There's no question about it. I mean, they just have a sticky kind of atmosphere, mm. uh, environment, like an ecosystem per se, right. uh, in which pretty much all their services are geared towards getting people to get on the site, buy more goods. You know, it, it's a retailer at heart, and everything that they do is basically geared around this, even the Fire Phone, to be completely honest with mm-hmm. you, is. Um, so I, I really like the brand. And a lot of people, you know, it's an old argument that, you know, profits are eventually going to come. But I think you have to have a longer-term vision with Amazon. Mm-hmm. I still think that they're in investment phase. They're building out their investments. They're still trying to build out their ecosystem mm-hmm. and increase consumer loyalty, especially among Amazon Prime members, which there's a, there's a lot of potential to generate to, to increase Prime memberships. Um, so I think you have to have a longer-term picture. And you've got to look beyond earnings. Obviously, the P.E. ratio, I think it's trailing P.E. with something like 500, some sort some of... Some stratosphere. You know, exactly, yeah. figure, which obviously doesn't make sense. If you look at it on a free cash flow perspective, it's obviously, it looks a lot more reasonable. Hmm. And, you know, I, I, again, I have to go back to having a long-term focus here. I like it. All right, last but certainly not least, Whole Foods. It's declined 32% this year. Ooh. P.E. ratio is looking a little pricey. And, of course, more competition than ever before. Mm-hmm. This, honestly, this is the one that I actually kind of agree with. Okay. Great brand. Whole Foods, it's a first mover in this healthy foods market that we're just seeing blow up so much over the last couple of years. Right. But the problem is it's blown up so much that now everyone wants in. Right. Sprouts wants in. Kroger wants in. Everyone's trying to take a bite out of Whole Foods' share. That's true. I like the company. I like their expansion plans. But I don't like the amount of competition, the lower price competition entering the market right now. What do you think? You know, anytime you take an operator that has, you know, a great product or service, they generate, you know, fat margins, high returns on capital. Mm-hmm. They continue to sustain that over time. It's like an open entrance for competitors to come rushing in, right? But I got to be honest with you, Mark. I'm going to take the opposite position because when you go to those other grocery stores, when you go to a Walmart or to a Kroger or a Safeway or even to the other natural goods grocery stores mm-hmm. as well, the rivals, the direct rivals to Whole Foods, who are growing and who are competing, it's not the same experience. Mm. And I think the comment was that 22 times earnings for a Staples retailer, I wouldn't call Whole Foods a Staples retailer. There's a lot more to the actual experience, Mm -hmm. the quality of the food, 
you know, I, I'm actually bullish on Whole Foods Market, and I think it's an attractive entry point at this point. And agree to disagree. All right, uh, our final headline comes to us from our very own Nikki Freeman. Why Starbucks' new physio handcrafted soda move is bigger than you think. Now, at the end of June, Starbucks began selling these handcrafted sodas. Mm-hmm. They're all natural, no added corn syrup, no preservatives, none of that flavoring. Right. Uh, they come in root beer, ginger ale, and lemon ale. Have you had one yet? I have not. I haven't yet either. I'm not a, I'm not a Starbucks, I'm not a coffee guy to begin with. I am a coffee guy. Uh, you are a coffee yeah. guy. So would you, are you buying into Starbucks soda? I think it's a great idea. Why hmm. not? Basically, it expands additional day parts at, at the restaurants, right. you know, so it gives people a reason to come back in the afternoons. Everyone loves to get their coffee fix in the morning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, the soda drinkers might want to come back in the afternoon and try a soda. You know, so it, it increases foot traffic, additional sales, more cross-selling opportunities, What's not, what's not to like about it? Here's what's not to like about it. People know Starbucks for coffee. Mm-hmm. People go to Starbucks for coffee. They go in the morning, and like you said, Starbucks is trying very hard to be this, this third place. The, the, it, you got home, you got work, where else do you go? You go to Starbucks. No, you don't. You go to Starbucks in the morning so you do, you're not walking in dreary-eyed. You get your coffee. I, I have never stepped foot in a Starbucks past 11 a.m. Okay. Uh, honestly, I... There's no reason for me to. They're trying to make reasons for me with their with their beer, with their soda, sure. with their later, later day parts, as you said. But I haven't I haven't heard my friends say, "Oh, let's go to Starbucks tonight, guys. Forget the bars. Let's head over to S Bucks." Yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying into it just yet. Well, you know, to be completely honest, to mm-hmm. be fair though, that's not exactly the demographic I think they're trying to steal from. Eh. They're not going to try and take away from the bar crowd. Twenty five year old kids going out every right. Day. I, uh, you know, come yeah. on, that's a little bit of an unfair comparison. <laughs> okay. Um, Starbucks is more about the experience, too, and the atmosphere. Mm. It's not just about the coffee. Mm. And, I mean, let's take a look at how they've expanded their portfolio. Tivana, Evolution Fresh, and so forth. These are growing brands. They're mm. becoming strong, popular brands. So it's becoming more than coffee. And I think there's there's a lot more opportunity out there for the coffee. We just have to keep on disagreeing, Michael. We do. Ugh, what are you going to do? All right, let's move on to today's Stock in Focus. Now, it's midway through the year. It's been an interesting one for a lot of companies, and none more interesting than Lululemon, which, my gosh, first of all, let's, let's, let's take a step back even before this year. Let's sure. look at 2013. Okay. You had the, the, the see-through pants scandal. Sure. You had CEO Christine Day backing out. You had founder Chip Wilson just opening his mouth and never shutting it. <laughs> uh, and all of that sent shares down. Now, this year alone, 2014, shares are still down 30%. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. What's going on with Lululemon? You know, uh, you you named a lot of the points right there. I mean, so you have right now going forward, you still have Chip Wilson, right? Mm -hmm. So he's no longer CEO, uh, chairman, I believe. But, you know, he still is the largest shareholder. Mm -hmm. And so you're still going to hear from him time to time. There's a a risk factor there involved, you know? You know, is he going to do something crazy? Is he going to try to influence the board? Is he going to try to get his own way? Um, He is a large shareholder, so in a way his interests are also tied to other shareholders, or at least hopefully so, but... You know, I don't know these uh, story, these stories I'm hearing about him. He's right. ready to start a proxy fight. He brought in That's Goldman true. Sachs. He's I don't know. It, it seems like he's he's not going down without a fight. Like you said, he's you're still going to hear from Chip Wilson, <laughs> right. which can't be good for Lululemon. Right? No, it can't. And aside from from Mr. Wilson, I mean, you also have the inventory issues, and it goes beyond you know, the the share Luan pants scandal and all that sort of stuff. If you actually look at their inventory turnover ratio, mm-hmm. it's actually been declining. Um, you know, decelerating over the past couple of years, since 2011, I think. So that's something that you might want to keep your eye on for investors. 
Um, and then, of course, increased competition. You mm. know, you talk about Athleta, Gabs yep. Athleta, for instance. Yep. Um, I think they've got like 73 stores right now. Mm. So they're growing pretty quick. And it seems like that their MO is their opening stores pretty much right next to Lululemon. It's the Burger King model. It is. Yeah. You know, and of course, they're operating sharper discounts. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to, to gain some you know market share from from that manner as well you know the question is is lululemon still is it a strong enough brand and does it resonate enough with its you know its its loyal customer base Mm -hmm. especially that higher demographic um, Mm -hmm. target that's that's the question it it almost seems like whole foods all over again lululemon was a first mover in this market Mm -hmm. like you said a very strong brand very loyal customers a lot of people love it but man, so much competition entering this market. Like you touched on Gap Athleta, they have so much going for them. Lots more promotions. Uh, the products are, on average, seven percent cheaper than right. over at Lululemon. Right. Uh, you have services there that you don't have at Lululemon, like a hemming service. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, a shorter lady looking for your yoga pants, you have more options over there. Mm-hmm. It just seems, on top of all of the problems they had last year, on top of the threat of Chit Wilson doing something crazy again this year, on top of the fact that their inventory was up 23% year over year, like you mentioned, and earnings were down 59%. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Big ouch. I I don't know. Just Lululemon, it scares me a little too much right now. Uh, For right now, I think I'm staying away. What are you doing? You know, if investing were easy, Mark, we'd all be millionaires. (laughs) There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of uncertainty. On the plus side, mm. there and there is a plus side, believe it or mm-hmm. not. I do like the optionality that they have in their business going forward. You mm-hmm. know, so we know in the past at least that they've had a very strong brand brand name. If they can continue that and if they can build that out amongst additional demographics, expand their customer base like they've been essentially been doing right. with you know a, other products that are targeting children, targeting men, and things of that sort. You know. We kind of have to wait and see if this is going to continue to gain traction and how much traction it will actually gain. But it, it could very be a great strategy. It could be a great way that they could really build out their brand exponentially. And that's really the big question. You know, we were talking before the actual, before we started filming here, about their revenue per square foot. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Lululemon generates some ridiculous figure in revenue per square foot. I believe it's north of eighteen hundred dollars. You know, it's approaching the realm of, of Tiffany and uh, Apple. To right. be completely honest with you, but. Um, so the, but, you know, just to interrupt you for a second. So that sure. brings up an interesting point. Uh, so Tiffany Apple highest same store, highest sales per square feet in mm-hmm. the business. Now you got Lululemon. So clearly, it's almost looking at itself not quite as a, a luxury brand, sure. but as a, as a higher exclusive. end, an exclusive brand. Right. Are people going to buy into that when they're having so many problems with like see-through pants or pilling on their pants? Uh, are people just going to say it's almost again back to uh, Whole Foods? You can go to Whole Foods with their great brand, but their higher prices. Right. Or you can go to Kroger with pretty much the same thing. You can go to Gap Athleta, pretty much the same thing. Mm. Are people going to keep on buying into Lululemon's brand strength? So the company is definitely trying to turn things around, and that's going to be the question mark. And it's a great point. Mm-hmm. So is the company going to be able to improve their inventory issues, mm-hmm. improve product quality, and regain you know this the the name that they once or the stature I guess that they once had? You know, so that's that's the big if. Right. 
if they do, then it could be big gains from this point. Fair. Um, last question. You mentioned Lululemon breaking out into different demographics, including men. Is that where you buy your yoga pants? No. You know, last time um, I checked, I actually don't do yoga. No. I wear yoga pants. You're missing out, man. I am missing out. Yeah. I really do need to. Yeah. Um, you. you know, but but the, the funny thing is, though, obviously, you know, I, I'm an oddball. <laughs> I'm not their target demographic. Okay. So, I mean, just because I don't buy their, their products doesn't mean that no other man will. Listen, I'm hearing a lot of the same excuses here. Starbucks, I'm not their tem- tar- target demographic. You're not Lululemon's target demographic. We're not giving the people any information. My gosh, this is, this is just brutal. All right, uh, let's move on to our educational segment called Learn Something. It's a very original name. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing news about Bed Bath & Beyond starting its share buyback. It's a $2 billion share buyback program. Um, Mike... Let's let's start with the basics first and foremost. The very basics. Yep. What is a buyback? Sure. And why do companies do it? Okay. So a buyback is basically when a, a company repurchases its own stock, mm-hmm. basically. Okay. And the effect is that it reduces the overall float. And this is actually a benefit for shareholders because you know although the pie, if you think about earnings for the, the company's earnings and its ownership base is a pie, mm-hmm. so the pie, the earnings pie, doesn't necessarily change, but everyone's relative piece of the pie. Their portion gets a little bit bigger. Mm. So, you know, more of the company's earnings, its actual profit, are attributed to your position, your ownership stake, which is a good thing, of course, right? right? So, you know, that's essentially why companies do it. It's really an investment in itself. You know, it's, there's three things a company can basically do. There's three ways, primary ways, a company can allocate its capital mm. or its shareholder money, okay? It could reinvest back into the business. Mm-hmm. It can pay a dividend, mm-hmm. or can buy back shares. Okay. Why, so why is uh, Bed Bath & Beyond choosing that option, not the other two options? Well, buying back shares is, is a great strategy at this point for it because it's not necessarily growing like it used to in the past. It's still reinvesting into the business, but its capital expenditure need, the, its requirement, isn't as large as it was in the past, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, it's a little bit more of a mature company. It's not building out store base. I think over the past couple of years, it's maybe added on, say, 50 stores or so. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not growing extremely rapidly. It doesn't have a huge capital requirement need. So it is, keep in mind, though, it is still reinvesting itself, and it is generating very high returns on capital. So reinvesting in itself is a good idea up until the point where you need to reinvest yourself in, in yourself. Um, why do you actually buy back shares as opposed to pay a dividend? Well, paying a dividend for shareholders can be lucrative, too, as well, but then you're also facing taxes, too, right? Mm. So the company's going to get taxed on its net income. And then it's going to use net income, after-tax net income, to buy back or to uh, to pay a dividend, which of course is going to be taxable at the shareholder level too, as well. So you have that double taxation problem. This is a much more tax-efficient strategy. Taxes. I always forget about taxes. Life, death, and taxes. Do all right. So on the announcement of this buyback, which I think was this Monday or last Monday, right. uh, shares slumped. Now you would think that shareholders would actually be happy about news like this. Maybe buy a couple more shares. Why are shares going down? It's a good question. I mean, I'd be happy as a shareholder to see <laughs> to see my portion of the the pie get a little bit bigger. Right. To be honest, I really don't know. Okay. Well, and on that note, I, shares are down 19% in the last year, in the last 12 months. Bed Bath & Beyond, like you said, it's reaching a maturation point. They're not adding new stores so much. They don't need to reinvest so much. Right. They're not ready for a dividend. They don't need the taxes. It seems like a buyback isn't a bad play for them. No. Does this have a chance of working? Does this have a chance of turning things around, stopping the the drop, 19% drop, bringing things back up? 
I don't know if I'd look at it as in the sense of whether it's going to, how it's going to affect the, the stock price in the short term. Okay. You know, as a long-term investor, you want to focus on how the company is adding value, how management is adding value. Hmm. And a share repurchase, especially at, at its current price, which I think its valuation is, is pretty attractive right now at this point, considering, you know, going back over the past 10 years, looking at its historical average. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think it's a good play. I mean, the stock probably is depressed a little bit based on competition, level of competition. Right. Um, other competitors online and, and so forth have been eating into their sales. Mm-hmm. But um, again, I, I think this is a good move. I like the long-term perspective you're bringing to the show today. It's yeah. nice, you know? It's very foolish very, way of looking at it. Very foolish. Yeah, very nice. All right, uh, let's move on to today's mailbag. Our letter comes from Lauren Kay, and if you want to send us an email, send it over to cg at fool.com. Lauren Kay says, I loved Wendy's Pretzel Bun Burger last year. Who didn't? Especially when they helped boost the company's sales. Now it's back. Can Wendy's recapture the magic? If not, should I bail on Wendy's? And for those of you who don't know, Last year, about, uh, I don't know, like six months ago or so, probably, yeah. probably earlier than that, yeah. um, Wendy's released this limited-time offer of a pretzel bun bacon cheeseburger and a pretzel pub chicken sandwich. Mm. People went nuts for these sandwiches. They sold 50 million sandwiches. Yeah. The sandwiches alone boosted sales 3% in Q3 and Q4 yep. for Wendy's. It seems like a no-brainer to bring it back. Um, so to answer her questions, do you think... Wendy's, is, is it going to see 50 million more burgers get sold this year? I don't know if we'll see 50 million more burgers. Mm. I mean, it's, it's an extremely popular item. And I like the idea of rolling it out, you know, periodically for a limited time period. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to, as opposed to leaving on on the menu as like a, as, as an all-the-time item, right? Right. So it's going to it's going to kind of reinvigorate sales. It's going to reinvigorate foot traffic, mm-hmm. and it's going to lead to repeat purchases uh, during this period of time mm-hmm. for other like you know. There's going to be other cross selling opportunities. So I don't know exactly what the margins are on the pretzel burger. To be honest, got to be low. Right? I would imagine they're low. Right. But it's also I mean, are you going to buy a pretzel burger and not order fries and mm-hmm. not order a soft drink, which right. tend to be higher margin items? Right. So I, I do like the idea. I like the idea of ushering in traffic every periodically, every once and again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd look at it as, as reinvigorating the uh, the stock, though, to be honest. There's so much competition right. in the space. When you look at McDonald's and you look at Burger King, um, who have larger scale than Wendy's, you know, it, Wendy's is in a difficult position. You're right. Wendy's is it's clearly not the biggest fish in this pond, which is an extremely big pond, by the way. But I like that... It's almost a trendsetter in a way. So it was the first one to bring out these pretzel bun burgers last year. Now everyone's got the pretzel bun, the artisanal bun. Everyone's doing it. I like that Wendy's took it away and people went nuts about it. And Wendy said, all right, we're listening and we're going to bring it back. I like that they have the the trendsetter. I, I like that they are listening to the people. I like that they... I like that they're doing this. I like that, like you said, cross-selling opportunities. For an extra 30 cents, you can get this bun on any other sandwich. It's not like they're just going to keep it with these sandwiches. It's not like they're going to keep it on the menu for forever. Although, this is interesting. They haven't said specifically if it's a limited-time opportunity or not. Or if it's going to stay on the the menu. I agree with you. A limited-time opportunity makes a lot of sense. Cause a lot of excitement around the summertime. Sales skyrocket. Sure, they slump, but summertime is the most important time for these burger chains. Um, I don't know. I... Wendy's is not the strongest play in the fast food market right. by a long shot. Right. But I like that they're a trendsetter right now. Right. I, I, I don't know. It's interesting to me. 
When you think about fast food, too, in general, I mean, you, you look at the overall headwind from fast casual, mm. companies like Chipotle, and basically the consumer shift towards eating healthier. Right. So, I mean, it's a pretty significant headwind that these companies are facing. I do like the product innovations. Um, but when I look back historically, at least at Wendy's financial performance, yeah. you know, they generate really weak returns on equity, returns mm. on capital. So, I mean, this, it's not a very profitable business model. At least hasn't been in the past. Maybe things can turn around. I guess time will tell, right? Yeah, that's true. And to your point, the, the fast casual, it's just been blowing up. You look at Panera, you look at Chipotle. Um, is this a move by fast food companies to kind of pivot in that direction? Look at our artisanal fancy bread. Oh, yeah. so luxurious. <laughs> Maybe not in, in reality. Maybe that's not going to work. But do you think that's, uh, like we, we're talking about trends, do you think that's going to be something we start seeing fast food companies turn towards? Or is it always just going to be burgers? No, I, I think you've, to an extent, I think you've already seen it. I mean, mm-hmm. with, with restaurant upgrades that we've seen from, I mean, down the street, there's a, uh, a McDonald's down the street from my house that swanky. looks very swanky. Yeah. Very, very swanky. So, I mean, they're all trying to create this level of atmosphere that you might find from, from other establishments, higher quality establishments. Mm-hmm. So I think you're already seeing that to an extent. Okay. But I don't think they're going to abandon the old burger and french fries. How can you? It's a classic. It's an American staple. Uh, last question. Have you had a pretzel bun burger? I have. You have? I just had one about a week ago. And? Tasty burger. Really? A real tasty burger. Worth a 3% uptick in sales, huh? Definitely. All right. Let's wrap things up with our Tweet It section. I went on Twitter earlier today, found me some cool stuff. Let's chat about it. Our first tweet comes from Money.com. Can you name the company that owns Charlie Brown? It's getting investors' attention. Michael, can you name the company that owns 80% of the rights to the Charlie Brown characters? Peanuts characters, excuse me. No. No one can. It's a little fun called the Iconics Brand Group. They own a whole bunch of uh, smaller brands that you might not hear about so much, but Peanuts are one of their big ones. Uh, there is a Peanuts film coming out in 2015. Really? I know, just because Hollywood can't think of original things anymore. <laughs> um, there's going to be a Peanuts film, and Iconics Brand stands to make a bit of cash off of it, not, but not just merchandise tie-ins. You got fees to sell the rights to make the film. Uh-huh. You have box office. Sure. It could be a nice little investment for, uh, for Iconics, at least. Maybe not for shareholders. I don't know enough about the company, quite yeah. frankly. But I found it interesting that Charlie Brown is owned by a fund. He's making a comeback. <laughs> don't call it a comeback. It's been here for years. All right. Our next tweet comes from the Wall Street Journal. Americans are drinking less beer but more wine and spirits, according to new data. And there's the chart. You can see beer is ticking down slowly but surely while wine and spirits is up a bit. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because I'll be frank, I'm drinking more beer than ever, Michael. Yeah. Uh, what did you have for the 4th of July? Were you a wine guy, a beer guy? I was actually a beer guy this 4th of July. It's very American. But it is very American, very patriotic. Mm. you got to go that way on the 4th, right? Absolutely. Um, but I could see the, the rise in wine and, and other beverages, too, as well. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know. I, my, my poison's always a good tall can of Budweiser. Yeah. I just ugh, true American. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the 4th of July, this is what I started the show with, and we've got to end it with something as weird as this. Today... Uh, Kickstarter project to make $10 potato salad raises $35,000 plus. Now, I know you haven't heard about this, so let me explain. Uh, A guy named Zach Danger Brown got on Kickstarter and told the people there that he wanted to make some potato salad. He's never made a potato salad before. He doesn't want to risk spending money for these ingredients. He doesn't know he's going to like it, doesn't know how it's going to turn out. Turn to Kickstarter and let the people pay for it. 
All he was asking for is $10. He's made $36,000 so far from over 2,000 backers. What are you people doing with your money? (laughs) Invest that money in other things besides potato salad. Just ridiculous. I don't know. I don't like potato salad, quite frankly. That's Neither do I. Yeah. Not, not worth, not worth $36,000. Although, to his credit, he has promised the people that he's going to throw a potato salad party for all of the backers. So, I mean, maybe I'll get in on that action. Yeah. Throw a dollar his way. Try some hopefully tasty potato salad. Who knows? Sure. If you Invest like. smarter people. Okay. That's it for our consumer goods filled edition of Where the Money Is. If you ever want to be involved and get your mailbag read, send us an email at cg at fool.com. For the incredibly handsome Michael Finarelli, I'm Mark Reeve. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.